it's Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. I'm Meg Rowley, and on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, I welcome to the program the new managing editor of the Hardball Times, Rachel McDaniel. We discuss Vancouver, BC, Rachel's schooling, her approach to editing and vision for the Hardball Times, knitting, and the Blue Jays. We then spend a little bit of time on baseball brawls and feelings and contemplate a few recent instances of baseball men behaving a bit badly. All of that is coming up, but first it is my obligation to tell you that Fangraphs memberships are now available at Fangraphs.com. For the monthly cost of one Mr. Softy's ice cream cone, you can support all the great work at Fangraphs, including the fine analysis of Ben Clemens, Rachel's aforementioned work as the new managing editor of the Harpal Times, and Jason Martinez's twice-weekly roster roundups, featuring all the most significant roster moves from around the league. You may also, for a slightly greater sum, purchase an ad-free membership and enjoy Fangraphs without banner ads, facilitating faster loading times. Also, if you are a Fangraphs member, you can reserve a ticket for the Fangraphs All-Star Weekend event, which will take place on Saturday, July 6th, and feature appetizers, mingling, drinks, and a panel with several of your favorite Fangraphs authors. Non-members may purchase a ticket for $15. Those are available at Fangraphs.com. That bit of business being complete, I take you to my conversation with Rachel McDaniel, Managing Editor of the Harbaugh Times, which begins right now. Rachel. I am Rachel. Hello, you are Meg. I am Meg. Uh, I should be more specific because there are many Rachels in the world, and you are a particular Rachel. You're Rachel McDaniel. You're the new managing editor of the Hardball Times. Welcome to Fangraphs Audio. Thank you. I am very glad to be here at Fangraphs Audio. <laughs> We're very glad you're at Fangraphs Audio and just Fangraphs generally, uh, and running THT in particular. So welcome to the show. Rachel, I think that some folks who are listening to this are probably familiar with uh, pieces that you have written at Fangraphs, but they may not be super familiar with you as a human person, uh, and you you occupy an important role at Fangraphs now, so I thought we'd have a little chat about you and baseball and uh, some baseball happenings and uh, kind of see where that goes. Does that sound okay? That does sound okay. Okay, great. So hey, uh, hey Rachel, who are you then? <laughs> I am Rachel. I spend a lot of time... I have spent a lot of time in my life at school because I have not yet graduated from university where I study creative writing. So that's basically what my life has been defined by up to this point, uh, going to school for writing, writing school. Yeah, school has a way of being kind of all all encompassing in that way because it's very distracting keeps you very busy you you don't have to be overly specific in your whereabouts because that's weird and creepy but <laughs> where, where do you hail from rachel i hail from the beautiful city of vancouver british columbia which is also where i go to university so if you want to come find me and fight me i am sitting right here waiting for you you personally <laughs> you're listening to this i don't know why anyone would want to come and fight you you're 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 a nice <laughs> sort in my experience of you <laughs> Well, okay, so you you live in Vancouver, BC. This is not news to me, I should say, because, you know, like, I've known you for a little while, and we, you know, we, like, interviewed you and hired you and stuff, so it would be weird if I were learning all of this for the first time, uh, which I am not, but your your listeners are, so we're going to pretend for a moment that I have some amount of ignorance here. So you're, you're from BC, and you're studying creative writing, which must prime you super well to be uh, an editor and a managing editor of the Harbaugh Times. Yes, I would like to think so, because the vast majority of what I do at school is editing people's writing and helping people develop ideas. Like, I do much more of that than I have done of actual writing. So that, hopefully, 
will help me to shape people's ideas at THT and replace commas effectively and other such things. It is funny. You need both. You need both the um, placement of commas and the ideas and writing is just not complete without both of the things. Yes. So that is that is your academic record and sort of where you're from where where have you written previous to to fangraphs because you've you in a i would say um a brief time had what i would describe as a kind of meteoric rise in the baseball writing world which i know makes you very uncomfortable to hear but i'm gonna say it anyway <laughs> so what other what other spots have enjoyed your talents most recently. Well, I guess I guess the places that I wrote at most recently, other than fan graphs, were also the places where I started writing, because I just kind of hung around. Nobody could get rid of me. Um, so I was at uh, Vice Sports, rest in peace. Yeah. I was at Baseball Prospectus. Um, not rest in peace. Yeah, Baseball thank, Prospectus is alive and well. still alive, yeah, yes. we're, which we're quite happy about. Yes, and I wrote some at the Hardball Times as well. So those were the places where I do the most baseball writing and where you can still go and find it if they have not deleted them. Well, I, I don't think that we've deleted anything of yours at the Hardball <laughs> Times unless you, with your new super user access, have gone back through and removed your pieces, although I don't know why you would do that. They were quite good. I was shocked to find the first day that I had that I was upgraded to administrator status <laughs> on the Fangraphs THT WordPress when I was scrolling through the sidebar and I just found a little option that said delete site. I was like, this is too much power for me. This is this is too much. I can't handle this. Yeah, it's uh I mean, I still at times get nervous about how the publish button is just right there. <laughs> uh it's just right there. And it does give you a warning, but only one. <laughs> Yeah. And then it gets kind of tricky after that. I had I had the good fortune, as people know, of editing the Hardball Times for, well, I guess for a year and a half, what it kind of ended up being. And it's a, it's a good site. And I think a very interesting site insofar as it gives an opportunity for uh, new writers and new voices and also some very established writers and voices. So there's a, a really nice range. Uh, and I think every editor there has sort of left their own mark in terms of what they want the site to be. And I'm curious, and you don't have to have an answer to this because I know that mine kind of changed over time as I figured out like where the italics button was and <laughs> how to insert links and stuff. I'm curious if you have if you have sort of a vision Rachel, you're a very young person, but you can still have a vision for what you want the Hardball Times to be, I think. Yes, I do have a vision. Um, basically, just because my background, like what I'm bringing to this is a background in literary writing. Right. And and that's, I don't know how common that is in baseball writing circles. Like I know Carson Sestouli has an MFA. So yes, yes. He and he did a great job editing fan graphs. And now he works for the Blue Jays. But yeah. my vision for the site, the way I have it now after one week, like clearly everything is laid out for me. This is hammered into stone, like the words of God um, <laughs> this is not going to change whatsoever. Is basically modeling it along the lines of some of my favorite like online based literary magazines in both like the diversity of thought, mm -hmm. the mix between writers who are established, like 
voices that we're, we know and love and new writers who perhaps need like just an opportunity to help shape their voices and create that great idea for a piece. And also the just the diversity of topic that you can get into on these kinds of sites where you're getting really an in-depth look at a whole bunch of different, perhaps maybe narrow or perceived as narrow topics within the world of baseball and just going, going in on those and expanding them beyond the realm of what you previously thought was possible. I, and I think there's a lot of possibility for that at the Hardball Times just because of the current, the current format of publishing one piece a day and the the more long form focus of the site like i think on even on the site's about page that i think paul wrote a while back there's we there's probably a, need to we probably need to update that yeah you, i put i updated it a bit i put like my name and contact information and stuff in rachel you're a superstar i didn't even <laughs> have to tell you yeah i nice. i went poking around the site after Good. i saw the delete site button really really got the thrills going through me to look around in wordpress but there's a line in that in that thd about that talks about the site being conceptualized almost as a baseball magazine mm-hmm. and that i think is a good model at least just starting going forward yeah, I think that it's a pretty unusual it's a pretty unusual setup to only have to publish one thing a day. I think it does afford the opportunity to really focus in on that one piece from an editorial perspective and also allows you sort of the freedom to plan longer term for the spots coming up on the calendar so when you do have new newer folks either just new to us at fangraphs and tht as part of our family of blogs but also just newer to baseball writing more generally you really have enough of an on-ramp there to to give them a chance to hone some new ideas and really put their best foot forward and hopefully um, start to establish themselves as as newer voices in the space who we come to think of as sort of more established voices. I was going to say older voices, and I guess that's tec- <laughs> I guess that's technically true every single day. Yeah, but not really what I meant. So I I think it's a pretty cool it's a pretty cool spot in that way. Yeah, and I found that even even with the like week and one day that I've been on the job so far, I've really enjoyed the opportunity to get these pitches from people and be able to to kind of turn them around and say, okay, you have this idea. What if we took it further? What if we mm-hmm. developed it in this way? Like, what if we asked this question that is hidden inside the question you just asked? And that opportunity, you know, wouldn't happen if I had to be turning around pieces like for a day. And, and just going for the productivity angle and not like being able to say, okay, we'll put this in the schedule for two weeks from now. Let's right. talk about this. Yeah, it does. Um, it does give you time to really dig in on stuff in a way that, you know, I, I think I don't say this to knock fan graphs uh, proper because, you know, you got to got to get stuff up on the site. But I think that there are moments where you you really how can I put this positively? You really feel the luxury of that time and appreciate the luxury of that time at THT in a way that I think, you know, the grind of a daily publication schedule that needs to feature multiple things a day is probably just not going to afford you. Yeah. And it's like, you do need to have those like reacting to the news kind of pieces. Like you do, do need to have sites with those. It's just offering 
you know, an alternative. Like if you want to, if you want to read that and if you want to read also something else about tomorrow, we have a fantastic piece running about a dice baseball league uh, created by two kids in the mid 2000s. So it's like you can have the reaction to the day's baseball news and you can also have that. We can have everything. The world is our oyster. It's a pretty exciting thing because it allows, you know, it allows Jay Jaffe to say, hey, what's up with Joey Votto? Because uh, as we're recording this on a Tuesday, that was a question that that uh, Jay Jaffe asked today. And then tomorrow we're going to get this uh, this dice rigmarole uh, at THT. I, I have to say, I am really enjoying being able to be a reader and consumer of THT again. That's been nice. It's like, oh, I don't know what's running tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to learn about it with everyone else. We're going to discover a new thing. It's cool. Yeah, and I've been having a lot of fun in the opposite role of being like, okay, I know everything now. I have all the power within my hands. <laughs> Rachel, you're a literary type. You're a literary baseball type. I would maybe put you in a tradition that, say, in addition to Carson Sestouli, uh, is home to folks like, say, Patrick Dubuque, who used to work with at Baseball Prospectus. Yes. Uh, who used to work with us at Fangrass in an autographs capacity. And I'm curious, because I think that it's always interesting for folks to hear about how baseball writers and editor types interacted with the game prior to being baseball writer and editor types. Uh, like, what what was your what was your path to to baseball fandom? Was this a, a thing that was in the household, or did you discover it on your own? How did you become a baseball literary type? I was born into a family of baseball fans. My mom is a huge fan of the Yankees. And I wrote a piece about that at the Hardball Times like a year and a half ago. And my my older brother, uh, who's four years older than me, was a Blue Jays fan as an infant because his T-ball team that he joined was the Blue Jays. And no. we still have the little T-ball shirt he got that says <gasps> Blue Jays. Ah. It, it, yeah, it fit me for a while when I was yeah. young. Like, I wore it. And it then it was worn by my younger brother, who's nine years younger than me. So it's been a bit of a, a family affair. And that is true of our experience of baseball. Like, I always just grew up with baseball. I wasn't super interested in watching it. As a, as a young tot, because I have a, I have a bit of ADHD going on. So <laughs> I loved playing. I did not really have the patience to sit and watch. Sure. Uh, I was not allowed to play baseball, even though I wanted to, uh, because that is for the boys. So I played softball. My team was horrible. I was not happy. Uh, I quit oh. softball when I was about 12 and was like, I'm an artist now. I'm going to do music <laughs> and theater. I'm, I'm done with this garbage. And then I did not think about baseball at all for like the, my entire high school experience. Just never, ever thought about it because I was like, that's sports. That's for the, the fools, the jocks. This is not for me, an artist. So I graduated high school. High school, lots of stuff happened. I was working at a knitting store in the summer of 2015, getting paid less than minimum wage, just being completely scammed by this lady who ran the knitting store. And what a, what a vil- as an aside, just what a villain. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like a villain in like a Netflix Christmas movie, like the, you know, the evil knitting store lady who needs to learn about the Christmas spirit. And like, you know, you could be a, a modern Christmas carol. She could be she could be the Ebenezer. <laughs> 
Yes, like a very uh, low-stakes, interpersonal kind of villainy. <laughs> well, I mean, we got room for all kinds of movies now. Everything's online. Let's let's see that version of A Christmas Carol. I want it. I will write it. I will write it and I will do it just for you. Excellent. All right. Well, I will stop interrupting you. So you were working <laughs> at a knitting store and you were being scammed and taken advantage of, much like Bob Cratchit in The Christmas Carol? Yes. And I was I was very depressed. I did not want to go to university and I was going to have to go to university in September. I was like, what am I doing with my life? Like, is this, is this the rest of my life? I'm going to be working retail for some lady who doesn't pay me. And then one day, one, one shocking day, I came in from work and my younger brother, who was about eight at the time. Yeah, he was eight. So he was just starting to get to the age where you can actually pay attention to baseball. Right. He was watching, he was watching TV. There was some Sportsnet news item. And what came up was that the Toronto Blue Jays, who I had known throughout my entire life to be irredeemably boring and bad. Like, that was my idea of what the Blue Jays were. This news item came up that the Toronto Blue Jays had successfully traded for Troy Tulowitzki. And I was like, what? It it, it just brought out, it was like a, a genie spell that opened up all this whole bottle of memories within my brain. Because I had been obsessed with Tulo as a young child because we as a as a partial Yankees household mm. we hated the Red Sox so we started paying attention to the Rockies in 2007 Tulo's you know amazing rookie season because they seemed like they were surging up to challenge the Red Sox in the World Series and obviously they lost but Tulo was awesome I was just like that was the first time that I'd really been entranced by a baseball player and just the like the he was had such a unique combination of the explosive power and also being just this huge guy at shortstop Mm -hmm. who made these amazing plays like on the regular just jumping up in the air and twirling and i'd never seen that before and so fast forward almost 10 years later i'm like what the hell the blue jays got Tulo? Like, what is happening with the Blue Jays? Have I have I missed something? And so I started talking to my younger brother, and he was like, oh yeah, like, they're 500, which you kind of expected out of the Blue Jays at that point, but they've got all these good players, like, this and this and this is happening. I was like, okay, okay. And so what I started doing for the rest of that summer would be I would come home from my sad job, and I would go and watch the Blue Jays if a game was on, I'd watch the game. If the highlights were on, I'd watch the highlights. And, like, basically as soon as I started watching them, they began that crazy, like, second half of the Mm -hmm. 2015 season where all of a sudden they were, like, the best team I had ever seen. I was like, oh my god, what is happening? And then I just became... I fell in love with the Blue Jays, I guess, again. Mm -hmm. Because... Yeah, it was just so conveniently timed in my life. It was like I had been given this gift right when I needed it. And that is how I got back into baseball. And isn't that always the way? It's like it presents itself at just the perfect, most opportune time where you're like, oh, I guess I need to check back in on this thing. And then you look up a couple years later and you're the managing editor of the Harbaugh Times. Yeah, I I still, I, I forget that that I'm a baseball writer. I forget like every day. So I'll go and read baseball writing, like great baseball writing. I'll be like, God damn it. I wish I could do that. And I was like, (laughs) and then I'm like, wait, 
wait, what am I talking about? I could just do that. This is my job. Yeah. Yeah. You could just do that. We like your words. We vote <laughs> yes to your words on fangraphs. Uh, and occasionally at the Harbaugh Times, if, you know, you're venturing into territory that you deem to be, I don't know, our standard for weird is pretty uh, forgiving these days. Yes. <laughs> uh, so who who's to say if anything would really be too weird for the fangraphs main page, but I suppose the option always exists to explore some some strangeness over at THT instead. I would like to share a thing I have observed about you that I hope you will not find too personal. And if you do, we'll just cut it out. We'll just yes. we'll just have Dylan cut it out of here, which is that you mentioned that the attention span will sometimes be difficult for you. And I have I've had the pleasure of seeing a couple of baseball games in your company at various uh, venues, mostly at what is now T-Mobile Park in Seattle. I can't believe I got that right. I keep getting it wrong. And then various spring training and college facilities in Arizona as part of the Fangraphs staff trip this past spring training. And I noticed that you knit while you while you watch baseball. You're a, a baseball watching knitter. Yes. Is that I've... too personal an anecdote, Trisha? No, not at all. Okay. I find it Again, I do have I do have a little slight hint of ADHD. Mm-hmm. So sitting through I mean, sitting through anything that lasts three hours is very hard for me. Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't typically go to movies because I'm just like, when is this gonna be over? If sure. I don't have something going on with my hands, then I find it very hard to sit still and pay attention to stuff. So what I what I've done basically since I started really watching baseball is that I knit while I'm watching baseball and because I have something going on with my hands that I don't have to think about like I I can knit with my eyes closed in pitch blackness like it's it's just muscle memory at this point yeah so then then when I have that going on I can really like tune right into the baseball and like just laser focus on it and another like the flip side of ADHD is that when you do focus on something you focus really hard on it sure and that kind of played into the way that I got back into baseball, just really throwing myself into it, because like it was something that I could hyper focus on because there's so much to learn. Like I, I found it, I started to find it very difficult to read when I was becoming an early teenager, which was very distressing to me because as a kid, I had just read constantly. Sure. And you were an artist. And I was an artist. And artists need to read. This yes. is important to being an artist. Yes. So I didn't really find a way to navigate that because it was just like really sad for me that I could no longer have the attention span to read a lot, even if I wanted to. And so getting into baseball actually helped me get more back into like being able to read books. Interesting. Be- yeah, because I I found that I could read... I could read more easily when it was a topic doing having to do with something that I could really hyper-focus on, and baseball was that thing. And that was another way that it was very, like, it was a great blessing in my life, because I was like, oh my god, I can read these books now. Like, because I had felt so useless for the past five or six years, not being able to read in the shocking volume that I used to be able to. Sure. Wow. Hmm. I find I I will be curious what your reading experience is like now, uh, given your new responsibilities. Not because I think that they will have any um, appreciable negative impact on your uh, attention span, but I just uh, I find it very hard to find time to read for pleasure during the season. 
I end up really enjoying flights for that reason. <laughs> I've come to appreciate flying, which I used to really not enjoy very much because I'm so, I'm kind of a, uh, at times an anxious traveler. I'm not afraid of flying per se, but like the rigmarole of the airport is just like a lot and I don't enjoy that part. But uh, now I really like it because I never buy Wi-Fi because it's never enough to actually do like WordPress or anything. You know, you can't work really. You can't stream anything, so since I look at faces, I really can't work. And uh, and so I just have no other option but to sit there and not be online, and and thus I have time to read. And so I, I've really um, come to appreciate flying for that reason. It sounds lame. <laughs> not at true. all. I mean, I have a very lengthy commute. Well, I have had. It will soon change, thankfully. Yes. But for the past, for my entire time at university... I have lived three hours and three different buses away from school. So <sighs> it's it's been a, a big struggle in my life because a, that's a lot of time to spend on the bus every day. Yeah. But what I have found is that when the bus is not so full as to force me to stand up for the entire bus ride, it's very nice to get to sit and read on the bus. And that is like the one benefit I have found of commuting so far. Yes. Yeah, I used to have that experience when I had a commute, and now I don't read on my commute because my home office is about uh, five feet from my bedroom. So <laughs> commuting is sort of a, a silly term to apply to that. But yeah, anyway, that's my story about commuting. So you're so you're a, so you're a Blue Jays fan. It's sad that you never got a chance to talk to Carson on Fangraphs Audio because I think of him now as a literal Blue Jay, even though that isn't true. But I think of him as being a Blue Jay with glasses and also still the mustache. But how have you how have you found your Blue Jays this season? My Blue Jays, I, what I have been dealing with this season actually uh, has been a confluence of like my internet at home has just been a nightmare. Oh no! People may have seen the series of tweets I have tweeted of screenshots of various baseball players during the games that I've attempted to watch looking like they're in about 100p. <laughs> and th that has converged with a hardware issue that has allowed not allowed me to use my TV to watch baseball. So it's been kind of difficult to to find games that I can actually view in full. And that has been a bit of a blessing with the Blue Jays this season because there have not been many games that I've wanted to watch in full. Like, there was a the weekend that Vlad Jr. was called up. It was... There seemed to be this magical energy infused into the team, and they had those two, like, late comeback wins. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh my god, the Blue Jays are worth watching again. And then in, almost immediately after that, I was like, no, they are absolutely not worth <laughs> watching again. And it's it's just been very bad baseball. It's really hard to watch baseball with a starting rotation like the Jays have. It is, it is fairly... It is fairly grim as starting rotations go. You know, it's one of those ones where sometimes I'm like, am I, is my understanding of this rotation right? <laughs> I mean, Stroman's been pretty good. Yeah, right? Stroman has, Stroman has been good, but then, like, the, the context in which his good pitching has existed almost makes you sadder watching him pitch. Sure. Because it, it's like, what are, like, you're trapped here on this team. Like, his run support has been dismal during during his run of good pitching so it's just uh it's just all around quite sad 
But he, but he has been, but he has been good. Uh, Ken Giles has been good again. So that's something. That is um, something. You, you wrote to very great effect about the sadness, uh, and Travise of, of Matt Shoemaker. So yes. we don't need to yes. revisit those, but he is out for the year. Aaron Sanchez has been, you know, just whatever. Fip in the high force. That's and, not going to work. And the broken fingernail arising again. It's, right. it's always just uh you're just waiting on tenterhooks anytime he takes the mound for like okay when is when is this gonna start to unravel when is he gonna start looking at his hand again yeah they have they have a number of people who you know if you had asked me i probably could have come up with some of them but i would not have been able to come up with all of them i mean famously edwin jackson is now uh toronto blue jay yes he is clay buckles Forgot about that until this very moment, but that's <laughs> that's a true thing that's happening. Uh, Zach Roscup wasn't Zach Roscup on the Mariners at some point? Maybe very recently. I think was, he was. Was he very recently a Seattle Mariner? Was he one this year? In fact, Zach Roscup. Yep, sure was. Yes. I remember that. Fourteen wins. <laughs> wow. Uh, cool. Good job, everyone involved. Daniel Hudson. Yes. Clayton Richard. And uh, the the wonderful superstar whom we know as Eric Sogard leading the team in position player war. Wow. Well, that'll that'll change <laughs> shortly. One would imagine they're an interesting franchise because you know they have these very very good young stars, and it seems like they're just going to cycle through role players to see who they can supplement around that young core until they're really ready to to get going here. Uh, but in the meantime, you're going to continue to watch a fair amount of Justin Smoke, I would imagine. <laughs> and Luke Maley. Luke Maley, yes. Luke Maley. Sam Gaviglio. Sam Gaviglio, like, I recall him last season when he first appeared, like, at the very beginning, was like, oh man, this guy's a breath of fresh air yeah. to the pitching that we've had to endure. And then he kind of, he settled into the state of the Blue Jays. Uh, how's he doing this season? Oh, 524 FIP. Yeah, it's not the best. <laughs> we wouldn't call it the best. If we were going to ascribe uh, an adjective to it, that wouldn't be the one that we would pick. We would not issue him any superlatives. Another former uh, Mariner. Well, the good news is that Vlad seems to be turning it around and has been much better yes. since that slow start that everyone, well, I won't say everyone overreacted to it. I wonder, I'm going to ask you about this, and if you don't have a considered opinion about it, that's fine. You don't have to. But um, do you sometimes wish that we were better about ignoring the... the um, the goofier parts of the discourse. Yes, absolutely. And the, this is why we I don't go on that. Twitter. Oh, you're so much smarter than I am and you're <laughs> younger too. It makes me so mad. Right. Like there was all of this nonsense, just true silliness around Vlad. And, you know, fans are going to react to stuff and that's fine. To be a fan is to be emotional. That's part of the deal. And, you know, Vlad was this this prince who was promised, yes. and so we needed him to be incredible. When we at Fangraphs ranked him as the the best prospect in baseball this year, I believe that Eric Longhagen described his bat as messianic, which I thought was nice. Beautiful. That was a good bit of writing from Eric. And so I get why people were a little bit fussy, but they were just being so fussy. And they weren't acknowledging that they were being fussy. Like if they had said, 
I know that this anxiety is not rooted in anything that's all that serious, but I feel afraid, and so I'm going to just feel afraid. That would have been fine. They weren't that self-aware. And then Craig Edwards had to write an article telling them all, Dylan, I'm going to do swear, to calm the f*** down. <laughs> because they needed to calm the f*** down. Yes. And now, and now Vlad is uh, doing fine. So you do get to enjoy Vlad. It yes. must be so nice to have an exciting prospect. Oh, Absolutely. I don't know about that in my own fandom. I have not in quite a while. His June has cooled a little bit. I guess it's only the eleventh as we're recording this, so I'm gonna I'm gonna not be fussy because <laughs> that would be silly having just admonished others for doing it. So we've talked about where you're from, both uh, in terms of your education and your actual physical location, your Blue Jays fandom, your vision for the hardball times. Rachel, I think it's time to talk about men behaving badly. Yes. But my this is favorite topic. This is well, I don't know that it's fun, but it's more fun than several versions of this conversation. Yes. Yeah? Yes. Yeah. So I was just thinking the other day that since since Yasiel Puig decided to hold an entire roster back on his own, that we hadn't really seen much in the way of uh, bench clearing or fighting this season. It seemed like we were maybe in a in a low point of baseball players fighting, of bench clearing brawls. And then we got two instances in the same week, thereabouts, of sort of related silliness. And I'm going to briefly describe both of them, and then I want your uh, impression, and we'll start with one, and then we'll move to the other, which is the first uh, was a, a benches-clearing brawl. Brawl. The bench is cleared. I will give MLB.com credit for being a little more circumspect in their language. Cleared in Atlanta when uh, Joe Musgrove clipped Josh Donaldson, and they jawed at each other. And I will point out that my favorite thing about this incident was that they jawed at each other and they started moving closer to one another and and josh bell moved in between along with the uh the pirates catcher moved in between josh donaldson and I, it appears to be nick markakis and joe musgrove and after josh bell who is a famously quite strong person was firmly in between joe musgrove and josh donaldson at that point joe musgrove removed his hat and got serious like yes. he was gonna fight yes but josh bell was in the way and he is famously large so <laughs> i i don't know about you joe i think you were trying to look tough but also be a little smart or maybe a little sneaky perhaps a bit afraid it's fine to be afraid so that happened and there's been all sorts of nonsense it looks like some people might end up being suspended from this incident and then we also had madison bumgarner and max muncie jawing at each other uh, after Max Muncy hit a big home run and was kind of sassy about it. And then afterwards, he said, further being sassy, that Bumgarner said, don't watch the ball, run. And I just told him, if he didn't want me to watch the ball, go get it out of the ocean. And we will give Max some grace around his understanding of the San Francisco Bay and whether or not that's <laughs> the ocean. So those things happened. Two instances of, I don't know if behaving badly applies to both, behaving with some feeling yes what do you think about this i am not against i am honestly not even against the idea of benches in theory i'm not against benches clearing brawls yeah primarily because i think that in most baseball brawls there's clearly not an intent like a general intent to actually physically harm 
uh, right. anybody and or inflict like serious physical harm. It's mostly a lot of there's a few guys who are shoving each other. There's maybe the one guy who takes a like a cheap shot at somebody, and then that guy is roundly shamed by everyone mm-hmm. afterwards. And then there's a, just forty people who are kind of standing around, like, "What am I doing?" And then the guys running in from the bullpen who sometimes inadvertently injure themselves, and that is the to me is the biggest drawback of right. these brawls is that there's the opportunity for stupid inadvertent injury that didn't need to happen but i think when we're putting we're, we're taking these gu- people who have for the entire lives been told and trained to to value like victory like physical victory right over over that other guy and baseball is not a sport that allows typically a lot of opportunity to like physically get that built up aggression out like it's there's a lot of there's a lot of waiting famously in baseball and there's a lot of non contact there's there's the the distance between the bases and the distance between the pitcher and the batter that's like it's it's so it's so mythologized that it's almost physical so i think there are going to be points where that aggression boils over and i think it's fine that guys yell at each other and you know, it's better. It's better than having it like bubble up into something super serious, um, sure. and like genuine resentment. And I think like the the whole Muncie Bumgarner incident is an example of this kind of playing out in a quote unquote healthy way. In as much as we believe that this kind of aggression in a game is healthy, but right. the the fact that they just they just jawed at each other and then they both had their little post game digs. And Bumgarner was like, let me be who I'm going to be. If we're going to let the kids play, like, let me be me. Right. I think that's fine. Like, yeah. th- and I I say this as somebody who I'm familiar with Josh Donaldson's red assery. He was the primary <laughs> combatant in the other fight. And I am, in fact, wearing a Donaldson shirt with the sleeves cut off <gasps> right now. So, like, I, I think that it's the fact that there's red asses in the game is, like, part... It's part of the narrative we build around the game. It's part of how these guys psych themselves up to go do these insane physical feats and work as hard as they do. Right. And some some people... Like, obviously, we love the guys who are going to have a bit more fun with it and do kind of wacky, playful stuff. But that's not... That doesn't work for everyone. Like, not everybody has the same personality. So as so long as there's not direct physical harm in the intent behind the fight... And that's why I'm not in favor, obviously, of like throwing Being throwing bowling. at batters. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I I do believe that the the upset that seems to have happened after the the Braves Pirates fight about it being an ump show in that both of those players were ejected. I definitely don't think Musgrove was throwing at him intentionally. Yeah, it doesn't appear to have been. Even though, you know, like and I think they noted this on the broadcast, there has been a history of you know, of Pirates pitchers over the years yes. throwing inside, but that doesn't appear to have been what happened here. I mean, he also, like, barely clipped him. Yeah. And then Donaldson's obviously, he's just reacting the way he does, is right. that he's taking this as a personal offense and an excuse to get really fired up. Which I, so I do not say this as if, you know, Josh Donaldson deserves to be thrown at, so let that, let that be clearly stated. Let me state that clearly. I'm not saying he should be thrown at. No one should be thrown at. And 
Josh Donaldson is one of a handful of players where I can actually recall an instance where he has leaned into a pitch and and been so obvious in leaning into a pitch that the ump waved off the hit by pitch. Yeah. <laughs> saying he had, he because the batter is supposed to try to get out of the way. Yeah. Right. And he like, this is great radio and everyone can see me, but if you imagine him in the batter's box and then you imagine him trying to move his elbow into the other batter's box... That was what Josh Donaldson did. And I was like, so, uh, and I remember this clearly because I think they were playing the Mariners. And so I was paying closer attention than I might otherwise have been at the time. And I was like, so, but that's not in the spirit of the rule. And thankfully, the ump was like, yeah, no, you can't do that. <laughs> so I find his reaction in particular to be sort of curious uh, or interesting. I don't think that he's necessarily wrong to react to getting beamed, even if it's not on purpose, because it, you know, it's not pleasant, uh, and it probably makes you feel uncomfortable and shifty. But uh, it is curious to me because he has at times been like, "I'm just lean into this, get a little, get a little free on base action." Yeah, it's the it's the logic of competition. Right. Uh, it's it's the logic of like, I am going to do what I need to do to win, and if you are in my way. Like that, it's uh, the the logic isn't necessarily consistent from situation to situation, but it is following the ultimate goal of being emerging victorious in this this two person confrontation. Right, right. Yes, there is a there is an internal consistency to that logic. It's just that it doesn't. It is not situationally dependent so much as it is determined by the overall competitive atmosphere. Yes. Right. Right. I wasn't bothered by the Bumgarner thing either. This is not a unique thought. I know Ted Berg wrote about this, so I'll, I'll give some credit to that because uh, he actually put words down. I'm just going to say stuff. But, um, you know, it's feeling. If you're not throwing at the guy and you're just saying, hey, buddy, you're showing me up, get on along, that doesn't seem to be super problematic to me. I mean, I do think that it's interesting when people are willing to admit in public that they're kind of grumpy because we think that people shouldn't be grumpy, uh, or we like to admonish people who are grumpy, and he's being grumpy by doing this. But if he's comfortable with that set of perceptions, I don't think it's all that different than what Muncie did. It's just demonstrative in a different way. Yeah, and as somebody who's like interested in the narrative of baseball and the the way that sports are narratives, like you need that kind of character. Right. You need the hard ass who's gonna you need a heel. Yeah. So I think that like it's it's good for the game to have contrasting personalities. It's not good for the game f for guys to throw 97 at each other's head for stupid reasons. Right. But conflict is obviously it's essential to the sport. So I, I and I think that's part of what plays into the fascination that happens every time there is one of these brawls or every time the bench is clear, uh, it's all anybody's talking about surrounding that incident because, first of all, it's such a contrast to the normal rhythm of baseball. And also it's an interesting complication to the conflict that is built into the sport. Yep, I agree. I think that uh, as long as it does not... I mean, I guess the place that you do get concerned is that baseball players have not demonstrated a tremendous amount of prolonged restraint Right, so you do worry about escalation, I suppose. Yes. But sometimes people just hold on to stuff and no matter what what went on, they would just get mad and, and engage in nonsense. I mean, it was several years in between when any playoff-relevant happenings happened. 
uh, between Bryce Harper and Hunter Strickland, and that did not prevent Hunter Strickland from throwing at Bryce. <laughs> nope. Although that was a very bad brawl because uh, it led to some concussions that were like career ending. Yeah, that was a that was definitely an intent to injure brawl. Right. And that and that was all again that was launched by like the intentional bean ball. Right. Which was stupid. Yes. Yes. Uh it's not the best set of behaviors. It is an understandable set of behaviors. I think that I prefer uh, if I were forced to make a choice, I think I would prefer the Bumgarner Muncie bit of business to the brawling just because as you know there's less uh risk of sort of accidental injury yeah. or purposeful injury candidly cuz presumably Bumgarner's well, I don't know. He probably would throw it a guy. Sorry, Madison. You just seem like you would. But I think that the brawls, the brawls do on average lead to, if no one gets seriously hurt, do lead to much more entertaining gifts, though. Yes. Like the sprinting in from the bullpen. I do think my favorite of all of those reactions isn't the sprinting in from the bullpen at all. It's when two people who maybe are friends right? They, fa- they are from different teams, but they've been friends at some point. We'll like find each other in yes, the midst of our yes. brawl and be like, hey, bud, what you doing? We don't need to engage in that nonsense. Like, how's the family, man? Right? And you're all just standing out there. It's like, it's mostly hugging. You do wonder yeah. if, if quietly they're saying like, how much longer do we have to do this? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh man, how long are these guys going to go on for? Right. Yeah, it's like, well, Joe can go forever. Josh Bell's standing between him and and any danger, so (laughs) he feels emboldened. Rachel, I'm conscious of the fact that I have to go at some words, and it is is evening time and coming up on dinner, but... Can you remind the the good people listening to this how if they're interested in pitching the Hardball Times, they can pitch the Hardball Times? Yes, please do pitch the Hardball Times with all of your ideas at this email address, tht at fangraphs.com. And we will put a link to that in the episode description so that if uh, you struggle to know how that works out, even though it's pretty obvious uh you will have that option available to you you can read rachel's work at fangraphs uh although maybe with slightly less frequency given the internet concerns but mostly the editorial uh, responsibilities that she has although but you can still find her work there and uh on on twitter you have to tell people your twitter my twitter handle is at rum hamlet there you go so uh rachel is on twitter sometimes tweeting about the blue jays often tweeting about other things uh but not very often tweeting generally because rachel is smart rachel thank you so much for joining me on fangraphs audio you'll have to come back uh soon when your internet is working or you feel better about the blue jays or really any old time thank you i would be glad to join you any old time terrific bye now farewell farewell